In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you notice that preparations for the Christmas season seem to come earlier and earlier every year? I mean, just this year, before Halloween was even over, stores and shops were decorated for Christmas. Radio stations switched to full-time Christmas music weeks ago. And even though we've only just finished Thanksgiving, by now we've been rocking around the Christmas tree since All Saints Day. Don't misunderstand me, please. I'm eager for the Christmas season. I love the carols, the giving of and receiving of presents, seeing the wonder in the eyes of children, spending time with family. At the same time, though, I wonder, is something else going on here? What do we really long for? Is it possible that the excitement of this time of year, including the desire to get a head start on Christmas in July, is it possible that excitement reveals a deeper yearning, a deeper longing of the heart? Part of the beauty of the season of Advent is no matter how fast the Christmas train moves toward December 25th, the church calendar forces us to put on the brakes and contemplate the true meaning of this season, to put on the brakes and examine the coming Christ. So with the lessons today, we're encouraged to acknowledge the source of our longing, to recognize the tension we live in, attention between the birth of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God, and to hear what Jesus says to us about living in this tension. As children, we were excited about Christmas, right? We looked forward to the presence and the sense of mystery. But by adulthood, we have also stumbled on the universal truth that our expectations of the future are often not met. That goes for Christmas season and at any other time. At some point we learn, right? We learn that what we think will bring us peace and fulfillment fails to do so. Are you familiar with the drive for success? How long does that sense of accomplishment last before we need to reach another goal? What about money? Just think of the excitement at finally getting the raise you just knew would remove all your financial worries. How long was it before you'd found new ways to spend the money and needed another raise? For me, it wasn't long. Drugs and alcohol don't bring peace and fulfillment. Food doesn't. Praise from other people doesn't. Or maybe, maybe your longing is of a different type. Maybe you long for the end of suffering. Maybe you long to be released from grief. Maybe we long to live in a time without forest fires or hurricanes or starving children in Yemen. Maybe we long for a time without starving children anywhere. Nothing the world offers will make these things right will fill this longing. The psychiatrist and spiritual director, Gerald May, wrote extensively on this topic. He says, quote, the desire is specific 
for an actual loving communion, even union, in an absolutely personal relationship with God. End quote. In examining the desires of our hearts, Gerald May finds a common root. What our desires all express is a longing for God. As Christians, we believe that God became incarnate, offered his life as a gift to liberate us from the power of sin and death. And yet, even in this knowledge, even in our relationship with God, it's possible to long for more. We long for a time when what, was, when what was inaugurated at the first advent, the birth of Christ, will be fulfilled when we will be in union with God. Jesus points to this time in the gospel text today. The grown-up Jesus, not the baby in the manger, but the adult Jesus. And our lesson says, just before he's arrested and put to death, he promises the disciples, after his death he will come back to rule over a new kingdom where, in the words of Jeremiah, God shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. God will make this world right. God will execute justice over all that is corrupt and evil and will remake the creation the way he intends. New heavens, new earth. And so here we are, seemingly stuck, between what God started and what is not yet finished. There is a tension here, a tension characterized by longing for resolution. Like any time, we are between one thing and another. If you've ever left a beloved place to move to a new town for the promise of a job or just a different opportunity, but not knowing anyone, not knowing your way around, not knowing where the grocery store is, You can relate to this tension. There may be uncertainty, anxiety about how you will perform, and sure, excitement and joy. There's also a sense of waiting, a longing. As the family of God, this tension is where we all live all the time, every day, between the incarnation and the coming of Christ again. We live between the Garden of Eden and the restoration of creation, between redemption of our past and the promise of redemption in the future. And like any tense situation, we long for it to resolve. So let's examine the words of Jesus. What does Jesus reveal about living in this tension? First, Jesus anticipates how frightened the disciples will be. He says, people will faint from fear and foreboding for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It seems evil, injustice, and death will not be defeated peacefully. Thankfully, Jesus' message is full of compassion. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with the worries of this life. In other words, when life becomes a burden, remember Jesus unburdened us. When we're feeling guilt, shame, or self-hatred, instead of hiding our face and cowering in fear, Jesus tells tells us, stand up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Likewise, Jesus says, be alert, praying that you may have the strength to escape these things and to stand before the Son of Man. 
Does this mean, does this mean that if we pray enough, we'll be able to ex escape future problems? No, of course not. That doesn't fit with what we know about God's grace, that what we do, even our prayer, doesn't determine God's grace. What prayer does do is give us the strength Jesus speaks of, the ability to stand. It grounds us in God so that we can stand up and raise our heads. It grounds us in God so that as our life becomes chaotic, fearful, and busy, we can remain aware of God's promise, the promise of redemption and restored creation. Finally, in this time in between, sometimes God surprises us and amazing things happen. Shocking healing or undeniable miracles. But more often, God reveals himself in ordinary glimpses of grace. The signs of God's grace might be so ordinary that we're not even aware of them. Over Thanksgiving, we were visiting with family, and at a meal, one of the older girls in our family didn't get a chicken wing. And this girl loves chicken wings. She had specifically asked for chicken wings, and when she got to the table, there were none left. But the littlest girl noticed, the youngest one. And I saw this happening. It was quite remarkable. The little girl said, here, you can have mine. She lifted up her plate and offered the last wing. It was totally selfish, selfless. <laughs> Ordinary grace, maybe? Maybe not. Many of us glimpse the presence of God in nature. Just consider the view of the river every time you come to this church building. If we're not caught up in fear of the future or condemnation of the past, we can see illustrations of grace all around. We can experience grace now, maybe in just little moments, and know joy while we wait for the coming Christ. And a story as I wrap up today. A few years ago, two mockingbirds built a nest beside my mailbox. These birds fascinated me. I watched them for a few weeks as they carried grass and leaves back to a secure place, tucked into the palms, safe from our dog, because our dog wouldn't dare put his nose in there. It was a perfect shelter, not too high, shaded from the baking sun. At some point, the eggs hatched, and there were four little birds. Eventually, they started making noise, and their voices intrigued our dog. One day, he sniffed around a little, and I walked over to try to get a glimpse in the nest. Their mother was nowhere to be found, so I thought I had a little bit of time. The babies were so cute, with their little beaks upturned and wide open hungry and waiting. Then from seemingly out of nowhere, the mama bird saw us. She flew to a branch right above my head and started making a lot of noise. I wanted to see a little more, so I got closer, and then I noticed birds all around me. On my neighbor's roof, across the street on the fire hydrant, on a car bumper, flying above and around, Needless to say, I backed away quickly. But then I counted. 
I counted, 11 birds and probably more were calling out to each other loudly. One of them even dove at my dog. (laughs) All in protection of this nest. Maybe we can relate our relationship with God to the bird family. In the nest, we are head up, hungry, and waiting. We live without fear of what will happen or condemnation for the past, protected by the one who created it all. Our deep longing, both now and at other times of the year, our hunger will one day be satisfied by a power and glory that only God can provide through Christ. Amen.